Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. ask you a quick question. As you come before God to pray, what are you usually thinking? Now, you're thinking something. You're not just not thinking because prayer involves your mind right away. To some degree, you're using your imagination. Whether you realize it or not, you're picturing in some way God with you and listening to you. But in the Psalms, David, King David, imagined much more than just God listening to him and with him. If you pay attention when you read the Psalms, you'll notice that his language of prayer is filled with all kinds of intimate and powerful mental images. He used his imagination to picture his relationship with God in his mind as he prayed. It's always what he's doing. Today, I want to look at the last five verses of one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 32. It's a good example of how David's spirit-inspired imagination can inspire the kind of imagination in our own prayers, it has in mind at least, that help me draw closer to God and trust and joy. And we see that here in the last five verses of David's Psalm 32. Let me read verse seven. David says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now that's just not praying to God. What you and I usually pray is... Oh, you're with me. Thank you. But God is more than that to David. He's a hiding place. Imagine a hiding place. What comes to your mind when you think of God as a hiding place for you? When David says, you are a hiding place for me, David is thinking about the real me. There's a real me. I'm body and soul. My soul is not just my spirit, but my soul is the real me that God created to live forever in his universe. And David is picturing the real him, the real person, body and soul in some way being in a hiding place that's God, that God is a hiding place for him. What comes to your mind when you use your imagination, when you think of God as your hiding place? He says, you preserve me. That's imagination, being preserved by God. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. That phrase, shouts of deliverance, is synonymous to the biblical word, good news, gospel. It was a shout of deliverance. It was a shout of good news that a battle had been won, that a king was coming, a deliverer was coming, With the rest of the Bible in mind, with the gospel in mind, with the rest of the story in mind, we come to Psalm 32.7 and we can see God surrounding us with the shout of the good news that he has become human in the person of Jesus. He has been born and he did the miracles and taught the word of God and he died on the cross to take all of my sin upon him. That's exactly what this psalm is about. The first five verses of this psalm are David confessing his sins It's a great place for confession. We've done that in an episode past. We're not going to look at it today, but it is still the context of this verse. David is shouting deliverance. He is saying that God surrounds him with shouts of deliverance, shouts of forgiveness. Jesus not only died to take my sin, but he broke through the other side of death for me. 
and he has become a resurrection for me. He has broken through the other side, and his rising from the dead means that God is all in forever in the person of Jesus as my deliverer, as my salvation. He surrounds me with songs, with shouts of deliverance, shouts of good news. He is a hiding place for me. And then the little word at the end of that verse, Selah, is a Hebrew word in the Psalms. Translators aren't 100% sure what it means, but the best guess is it's some sort of musical term that means musical interlude, rest, meditate on this. It's a good thing for us to think about when we think of what David just said to God, you are a hiding place for me. Meditate on this. Imagine this, God being a hiding place for you. You preserve me. You surround me with shouts of good news, shouts of deliverance, shouts of salvation. Imagine this as you come before God. This is God to you because Christ has come and died and risen from the dead and will return with his kingdom to resurrect and restore all of God's creation and restore you. This is your deliverance. This is your shout of deliverance that Jesus is proclaiming because he has risen from the dead and he surrounds you. The language here is very picturesque. God surrounding you. God preserving you. So much that he is your hiding place and you can hide in him and hide in his salvation and hide in his righteousness for you and hide in his sacrifice for you on the cross that takes all of your sin upon himself and hide in his peace, his shalom, that he has guaranteed for you by dying and rising from the dead. Hide in his salvation, his restoration. And then David described what some of that shout of deliverance is in verse 8. This is God speaking, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Again, this is highly imaginative language. It's not just saying, I'm going to show you what you should do. He's picturing God as intimately present, instructing and teaching and counseling with my eye upon you. Remember what David said in Psalm 17, where he says, make me the apple of your eye, that I would be the center focus of your eye. And of course, this is possible with God because he is infinite. He can be 100% present right here, right now with you without being any less present anywhere else. And he can focus on you right now with his eye upon you without being any less focused anywhere else. This, of course, is highly imaginative language. God just sitting there with his eye upon you, loving you, counseling you, instructing you like a father to a child. He is hiding you in his hiding place. He is preserving you in himself. He is surrounding you with his salvation and deliverance. And so God continues in verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Or the NIV says, it will not come to you. Again, this is highly imaginative language. Don't be like a horse or a mule that have no understanding, that are stubborn, they're dumb, they don't have understanding, and they won't come near to you. You're the one that provides for them. You're the one that takes care of them. You're the one that protects them. You're the one that feeds them. But they won't come near you without bit 
or bridle because they don't have understanding. This is highly imaginative language that David is using to describe himself when he doesn't come near God, to describe himself when he doesn't trust God, when he doesn't rest in the promises of God being his hiding place and God preserving him and God surrounding him with the promise of salvation, the promise of the gospel. I remember the first time in college when I was praying through this psalm and I read that and I just started crying because it was such a great picture of me. I knew better, but I was staying away from God and continuing in my stubbornness of heart and my unconfessed sin and not coming to God in prayer. And it just, one day I did and I read this psalm and it just was the perfect picture of me. Someone with no understanding like a stubborn mule who wouldn't come near the one who loves him, wouldn't come near the one who takes care of him, is his preservation, is his salvation, surrounds him with shouts of salvation and deliverance, but staying away because I have no understanding and I'm stupidly stubborn. Otherwise, it will not come near to you, God says. But God wants us to come near to him because he is the one who provides. He is the one who takes care of. He's the one who created us. You and I wouldn't even exist if God didn't want you and I to exist in his universe. He has this eternal plan for us. The shouts of salvation that he has already guaranteed through Jesus Christ that he surrounds us with and preserves us with and is hiding us in himself in. Otherwise, I will not come near God if I don't have understanding. If I don't have something that draws me near to him, I'll stay away. And it's stupid like a stubborn mule. Don't be like a stubborn mule that I have to force to come near me through troubles and trials. Come near me on your own, God is saying, because I have my eye on you with love and care and salvation. I want to come near God because I trust him. I don't want to have to have a bit and bridle that makes me come near him. I want to come near him because I have understanding of who he really is. So verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Again, I think this is highly imaginative language. Imagine this, that there are sorrows that always will happen when we walk away from God because God is life. God is the source of all existence. He's the author of life. He is the only one who is infinitely present with love and good intention for our lives. And when we walk away from him, many sorrows are eventually going to overtake our life, especially in the end. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Steadfast love. Steadfast love is translating that Hebrew word chesed. It means God's promise-keeping loyal love, God's generous loyalty to his promise to us. And he has made a promise to us and he has guaranteed that promise by becoming human in Jesus. And this is a promise that we can count on. We can put all in, all of our chips all in and bet our whole life on this, that his steadfast love, picture God's love being steadfast for you. His steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh, the I am, the Lord. His steadfast love surrounds us so that we can trust him. We can rely on him. We can go all in. He is our hiding place. He is the one who preserves us in trouble. He is the one who surrounds us with shouts of salvation, with shouts of the good news of the gospel. Jesus has come. 
Jesus has risen. Jesus is coming again. His steadfast love surrounds you. And you can trust him. You don't have to have bit and bridle to be brought near him. You can come near him and stay near him because you have understanding of who he is. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, whenever I read verses like that about being righteous and upright in heart, inevitably I think to myself, hmm, that must not include me. Because I'm aware of my sin, I'm sure you are too. But don't forget what psalm that verse is in. That's the last verse of Psalm 32 where David is confessing his sin before God. So David says in verse 5 of this psalm, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So when David says, O righteous and upright in heart, It's not like he's saying, if you look at all of our behavior, you can count us among the righteous. If you look deep within our heart, you can count us among the upright in heart. But rather, it's a disposition of those who trust in Yahweh. We want to be upright in heart, always knowing that we never truly have a 100% pure heart. We're not pretending. We're not denying the reality of conflicted desires in our heart. But rather, we're, in, we're saying what our intention is. I want to be upright in heart. I want to be among those who want to live in God's righteousness, who want to be upright in heart. I want to be glad in Yahweh, the I am. I want to be glad in who God is and his righteousness. I want to rejoice in God's faithfulness, the good news of his deliverance. I want to rejoice in his steadfast love. I want to rejoice that he looks upon me and counsels me and teaches me with his eye upon me. And sometimes troubles are his bit and bridle to help me have better understanding so that I am in some sense, forced to come to him. But it would be better if I didn't have to have trouble be my bit and bridle. It would be better if I would just have understanding and come to him on my own because I am glad in who he is and I rejoice in his steadfast love that surrounds me. I rejoice that he is my hiding place who preserves me and surrounds me with his salvation. And so I want to live in his righteousness. I want to be upright in heart and shout for joy in who he is and walk in the joy of walking with the one whose eye is upon me and preserves me and hides me and delivers me and his steadfast love always surrounds me. Many of the sorrows of the wicked, those who ignore God, those who continue to walk away from God, there's going to be multiplication of sorrows. It's not going to end well. I want to have understanding. I want to see the reality. When I walk away from God, it's going to bring sorrow. When I return to God and come near him, I'm coming to his steadfast love that surrounds me. I'm coming to his righteousness that brings joy and brings gladness. It's his steadfast love that surrounds me. It's his hiding place that preserves me. So let's take a moment here and just pray these last five verses of Psalm 32 using our imagination, picturing our relationship with God the way the Holy Spirit inspired David's imagination in this psalm. Let's learn from it. Oh God, you are my hiding place. 
I hide in you. I hide in your power. I hide in your presence. I hide in your grace and mercy. I hide in your forgiveness. I hide in your steadfast love for me. I hide inside your heart for me that has an eye upon me that loves me with steadfast love. You surround me with your steadfast love. You surround me with your gospel of good news that you have taken my sin upon yourself. You have broken through the other side of death. You have risen from the dead. And in you, I will break through the other side of death and I will rise from the dead on a renewed earth and a resurrected body. And I will be present with you forever to see your glory and your beauty, to live in your steadfast love. What I have to imagine now, I will see with my own eyes. You surround me with your steadfast love. You surround me with your righteousness and your deliverance and you preserve me and you are my hiding place, always present with me, always present with you, hiding in you because you love me and you look at me with your eye upon me always. I can trust in your presence. I can trust in your steadfast love that surrounds me. I can trust and be glad because you shout over me shouts of deliverance and salvation. You surround me with your deliverance. You surround me with your salvation. You preserve me with your salvation. You are my hiding place and you hide the real me in you. Even now, I am hidden in Christ and Christ is in me. As Paul says in Colossians 3, I have already been risen from the dead. I've already died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, who is my life, I also will appear with him in glory. This is the shout of deliverance that you shout over me in the promise of your gospel, the promise of your deliverance, the promise of your good news. You surround me with it. I am hidden in you. I am in your presence with your eye upon me and your steadfast love surrounds me and so I can trust in you and submit to you. I don't have to have bit and bridle to come near you. I want to have understanding of who you are so that in my own free will, I come to you. I don't have to have trouble drive me to you for help. I just come to you because I know who you are and that I can trust you and that I can come near you. And when I come near you, there is peace. When I come near you, there is joy and gladness and rest in your steadfast love. In Jesus, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.